So I'm in Iceland. I'm in the airport, right? Yep. And we had just gotten off this flight from Paris, and we're both, uh, me and my partner who I was traveling with, um, we're both jet lagged as all hell. Cranky as hell. We're both just cranky as hell. We barely made, they had to hold the flight for us because <gasps> we were delayed, right? That's so like, nice that they we did had that. to like run to the gate. And now we're standing in line, and like, you know, no one in Europe knows how to line up. So like, we're in this horrible line. Um, waiting to get on the plane. Point of order, <laughs> Brits are very good at being in lines. Fine, I will allow. I will allow that the Brits can line up. Um, the friendly people of Iceland were having a hard time lining up. Mm. But we're in line, right? And I'm just mentally fried. So of course I'm just burning through international data on my phone because the only thing I was capable of doing is looking at tweets. Yes, right. Because that's what happens. Yes. And, um, so I'm looking. And I'm scrolling through, and it's been you know two weeks of being completely detached. You weren't from, completely detached. I was pretty, de- but for my by for my standards, I was pretty detached. For you, yeah. But I'm looking through, and suddenly, and like you know, I'm in like this haze, right? And everybody just starts talking about this thing that's happening, <laughs> and I'm like grumpy and mad, and suddenly all I'm seeing everywhere, all over the place, is this hashtag cockygate. <laughs> and- and I'm just scrolling through and I'm in this like group DM of mostly writers and they're kind of like talking about it too. And everyone's getting all worked up and people are tweeting at the loon about it. And everyone's like cocky gate, cocky gate, cocky gate. And I thought I was having like a fever dream, right? Because I'm like <laughs> waiting to get on this flight. This nice lady who didn't speak any English is like asking me for my boarding pass and my passport. You know, all these things are, are happening. And it's... I just like put, I just, I couldn't handle it. I put the phone away and I got on the flight and got home. And then we get to thinking that this was just some stupid thing that people were on about that would go away. And then I get back and I'm standing in the, like the border control line, you know, in America, like in the Minneapolis airport. And you're not supposed to have your phone out there, of course. No, absolutely not. But again, you know, I just impulsively did because what am I going to do not read the tweets right like that's the only thing I know how to do at this point I'm like on base level instinct and people still are talking about it and I'm thinking at this point like real life is starting to creep in you know I'm like oh man I gotta go to work on Monday we're gonna have to start recording the show again we're gonna have to do these things and we've got like kind of we had like this kind of sober episode lined up right like we were gonna talk about you know the various bad things that have happened in books while i was away and um please note that all i had done was (laughs) slack eric a message with one word that said hashtag cocky gate and i I didn't say anything else i just thought everyone had (laughs) lost their damn minds which is still which again is true that isn't that isn't necessarily false, but we, um, so it hadn't gone away. Um, so now I'm in like the customs line. It's Iceland trying to declare this. this, you know, this Belgian chocolate while also learning about what cocky gate is. You're also declaring that publishing is yeah. is ruined <laughs> so, forever and ever. I'm, I'm like, yeah. So it's not good. And then it's yeah. But so I, I finally get home and I and I pass out thinking again. I refuse. Like at this point, I had like resolved to myself. I refuse to learn what this is. I said that. <laughs> I said that aloud to myself. I said, I almost like sent out a post. I was like, this is simply going to be something I choose not to know about. Um, and that 
clearly did not happen. And here we are. Well, if you're a listener who (laughs) has said the same thing to yourself, know that we will indeed be telling you what cocky gate is later on today. Well, so we should we should use that as an opportunity then to say welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. Very happy to be back with you again. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello. Eric, I missed you so much. I'm so glad you're here. It's good to be it's good to be back. Um today is today's what? May 7th. It's a Correct. Monday. We're back. We're not feeling jet lagged at all. Laura, are you feeling jet lagged at all? Are you feeling you're feeling okay? I'm feeling great. Great. I just just checking <laughs> well, on you. Well, you know I what watched. though? I did go to Duluth this weekend <laughs> oh my just God. for went, the day. What'd you do what'd you do in Duluth? Um I drank a lot of beer. Okay. That's yeah, a good no, thing to I do went in and then and then I hung out and on, you know, I touched the lake. Uh-huh. The lake being Lake Superior, uh-huh. which is the most superior of the, the Great best Lakes. Lake. Yeah. It's the best yeah, lake. Right. Um, it was very cold and refreshing. I met a dog uh-huh. that was um, part Malamute, part Husky, and part Shepherd, hmm. who looked like what the dire wolves in Game of Thrones <laughs> should have looked like. Oh, and man. I get, got to give him a corn chip. Oh, you gave the dog a corn chip. I if did. If you give a Malamute a corn chip, it's the next one of Yep, it was great. So I, too, am feeling a little jet-lagged. I fell asleep on the car ride home. Yeah, no, this is good. Um, so we're all feeling good. We're at our tip-top shape. Um, we've <laughs> we're got not a, rusty at we've all. Got, <laughs> we've got a ton to cover, though. Um, so I figure um, before we get to the many things that kind of happened while we were on hiatus... Um, we should have the basic rundown, huh? Yeah. So welcome. It is our first episode of May. Yes. Um, because May is a freakishly organized month. It's also um, hot here it's now. It's also so hot. Three weeks ago, there was a 18-inch I blizzard. I left during a blizzard, yeah. Yeah. And and now it is like 80 degrees outside. Yeah. And I, after this episode, I just have to go garden. So I hope that this takes forever. Yeah. Um, so it is the beginning of May, which means that you have three special episodes to look forward to. Um, we got a lot of really good feedback from the synopsis episode. So while we may or may not do one this month, um, definitely if you want us to critique your synopsis, send them to us. Um, same with sending us your queries or the first page of your book. Just we, send us stuff. Yeah. Like if you, there's some document or something in publishing that you think we should do like an episode on, we'd love to hear from you. If there's a link for a good replacement for Eric's uh, reading pants. Yeah. If you've got like a good lasagna recipe, you want us to workshop live oh, on Oh, I've there, got like, an excellent one of those. Yeah. Of course you do. I'm just saying, like if there's something, if some part of the publishing process that you do want workshop during one of our special episodes, send us a note and we'll figure it out. Like we've done yeah. that with the Twitter pitches. We've done that with synopses. Like... You know, we want to respond to your needs with that stuff. So do send us a note. Very often as agents, we don't get a lot of time to respond and talk directly with authors. And so Print Run is your chance. Print Mm -hmm. Run is the opportunity for you to get one-on-one time and talk about lasagna with your good old (laughs) friends. Um, So send those to us. Our email is printrunpodcast at gmail.com. We will also be on Twitter at printrunpodcast, also known as The Loon. The Loon. The Loon, which this is also something that happened while you were gone, Eric. Um, So I was walking around Como Lake, which Mm -hmm. is a a nice lake. It's right next to a zoo in St. Paul. I was walking around it one day and, you know, having a grand old time. You know, the weather was crisp and beautiful. And the loons were there because they were on their way up north um, Uh getting ready to mate. 
And I took a picture of a loon, and of course they were way out there, because loons are gigantic and mean and don't like people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I took a picture and I posted it, and somebody tried to tell me that it wasn't a loon. Mm. I was like, sir, you picked the wrong person to talk about how we're not loons. Yeah, no. We know. We know loons. Anyway. Yeah, we do. What else, so what else happened while we were gone? Anything good happened to you um, book-wise, book I guess, we'll stay focused book on? Book-wise, well, I furnished my front porch, so uh-huh. I have read two, count them, two books in print uh-huh. since the weather got oh, nice. Oh, you're sitting, oh, you're sitting on the I porch was, reading a book? What have you yep, been reading? What yep. have you been reading? Um, well, I read Chaotic Good by uh-huh. Whitney Gardner, okay. which was a lot of fun and super geeky. It was all about Dungeons and Dragons and, like, romance and stuff okay um and then i read dread nation by justina ireland Hmm. which is a civil war zombie book nice yeah well there there you go go. yeah all right so i'm like i feel like a real person again i'm refreshed (laughs) do you feel like a real person because you're reading a print book and not listening to him on audiobooks do you think that has anything to do with it i'm not i'm not (laughs) going to say anything to that you you be nice to my audiobooks um anyway so, so should, should we get to the should we get to the business at hand? Yes. Because before before we get to you know, the cocky gate, we should we should also address um, what really it kind of feels like a set of stories that sort of belong together at this point, yep. right? And that's kind of how this ends up going across whatever industry it's been happening in. And of course, we're talking about this sort of wave of you know sexual abuse stories and allegations against um, various literary figures and institutions media um, figures in you general know, I mean, yep. it happened you know and we see, we've seen this we've talked about it before we've seen it happen in um you know movies we've seen it happen in kind of print media and journalism and things like that and it's starting to kind of make its way into the literary and book world and um over the last couple weeks we um we had uh, we've seen allegations now against uh juno diaz um and we've seen even i guess you know, it kind of came up the other day, and this is much older and sort of, I guess, kind of known, but it sort of resurfaced um, allegations against um, the now deceased David Foster Wallace. And then even, I don't want to call it, like, more eyebrow-raising, but um, also against kind of the Nobel Committee for the Nobel Prize in Literature. Yep. And so we've sort of got this situation now. Me, took, me too took down the Swedes. Right, no, we literally canceled the Nobel Prize in Literature. Yeah, um, they're not be- giving it out this year. Right, it's it's done for the year, and they're going to double up for the first time since the 1940s. I think 49, it was the last time they did it. Um, and so rather than dissect each individual thing, because I think that our stance with all of these is... Largely the same, right? Harassing like, people is harassing, bad. Yeah, so there's not really an original take there. Like we, you know, believe the, you know, we believe the accusers. We, um, you know, think obviously that you know the harsh kind of ostracization of you know these people in people's influence and things that you know as it happens, you know, we think that's important and good and sort of creating a safe community for anyone trying to be a part of the literary world. But um, you know, that's not new. That's not a new thing to say about it. But I do think that. All of this kind of taken as a whole, right? Because now we're starting to see, um, at least for me, at least, and maybe this is just a totally personal thing to say, but we're starting to hit like authors that I, up to this point, really liked. Yeah. Right? You know, and I think this is something, especially with Juno Diaz, um, that people are starting to kind of grapple with now. Is like the idea of, well, what happens when 
I really respected or really liked the books this person was producing. And even beyond that, you know, when I really liked the presence or the figure this person was cutting in the publishing landscape, right? And so now there's sort of these complicated feelings of, you know, what to do when the person who, you know, is outed as the abuser is someone you, you know, were sort of drawing on as a literary inspiration or someone whose books you were really interested in reading and things like that, you know? Yeah, the people who get to go on, like, the shelf that company sees. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's interesting. And it sort of got me thinking personally, and you tell me what you think of this, but, like, I spent a lot of time the other day thinking about the idea of of literary influence. And it sort of, it was kind of a discouraging line of thought because it got me, you know, I was sort of starting from this place of, well, as someone whose job it is to have taste in books right like we're we're agents like part of your job is to have a sense of what good and what what's good and what isn't and what you know literary traditions you're interested in and what you're not and you know that's true also of me as someone who's aspiring to be you know a writer and all these things and like what happens when a big chunk of the books you liked or the pieces of work that you enjoyed or drew you know creative inspiration from or would love to see more work like comes from people who are then, you know, outed later on as, um, you know, abusers and people you wouldn't, pre- you know, predators, people you wouldn't want in, people you would otherwise, you know, try to remove from the larger literary conversation. It just got me thinking, like, how how does that affect the ongoing conversation and how does that go affect the ongoing creation of art, you know, because... Um, it, you, it's hard to say this person influenced me and also say people write from, you know, people, you know, authors write from experience and not be able to start to trace somewhat of a line through like, well, these people are creating books that are coming from a place of misogyny, right? Like these, you know, whether it's Wallace, whether it's Diaz, like there's clearly some part of them, a significant part of them that is steeped in some pretty toxic stuff, mm-hmm. right? That's fair to say. Like, and they're writing books, and especially with Diaz, we saw people start to kind of pick apart some of his work and say, hey, this is present in the pages. Yeah. What does it say then if those pages are also things that are influencing, like, a, the next generation of, you know, creatives? And it just got me thinking about, like, the whole idea of, I don't know, like, connective artistic influence in canon and like what if this whole thing is not just a um a set of disparate individuals right because we we talk about the me too movement so frequently as like a list of people yeah now it's time for this person to have their moment right exactly it's this person it's this person it's this person here's the ongoing list of people who have been outed as you know abusers and we're taking care of them and we're outing them and we're kind of you view it almost as like this pruning right like you're removing these individual you know people but like I'm not sure it's that simple. And it kind of yeah. dismayed me. And this is, again, like to be absolutely clear, this is not a new point. But it sure seems as though by allowing these things to exist in the manner that they have, that there's some sort of, you know, toxic misogyny that clearly is much more of like a feature than a bug that is able to be pruned out of like our larger ongoing literary conversations yeah. And it just feels like that's something that really kind of needs to be grappled with on a much and I think maybe it's coming, you know, the book world seems more apt than any other to, you know, deal with it 
heavily, but I've been I don't talking know. with a bookseller friend of mine. Yeah. Um, and he has been talking about how so he's responsible for for buying the books for his particular store. Yeah. Um, and he has like many of us had a lot of affection for a lot of the the works right. that have been right. kind of uncovered um, as you know their authors being being abusers. And, you know, the question for him is, you know, do I put these books on clearance? Do I send them back? How far back do I go? Do I get rid of Hemingway? Do I get rid of, you know, all of these other writers, you know, or do I just limit myself to the people right now? And there's kind of this idea that there's slippery, that there's this slippery slope and that um, at some point people, you know, in the canon become untouchable. Mm-hmm. Um, this I've had a lot of conversations recently, um, and this is kind of expanding from books a little bit about, you know, the idea of separating the art from the artist. You know, right. there's there's a big thing in science fiction fantasy about how your faves are problematic, mm-hmm. you know, that you can still love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and be really not into Joss Whedon's treatment of, you know, people of color and, sure. you know, in, sure. in certain situations. Sure. Right. You know, there's not everybody is is perfectly hashtag woke in every every way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of those conversations are centered around, you know, justifying as a consumer justifying your interest in a particular project a particular piece of work while still condemning the creator um in minnesota we've experienced a lot of you know kind of like the extreme version of this right with garrison keeler who was accused of sexual harassment um, and Minnesota Public Public Radio is renaming Prairie yeah. Home Companion right. and is getting rid of all of the publicly available recordings of Garrison Keillor's show and is not airing them anymore. So they're essentially ousting him from the canon. And it just, yeah, it just feels like with each one of these things, there's becomes this question of trying to evaluate these ideas of like legacy yeah. And like forward looking influence in yeah. all these things. And I have a lot of people who are really like a lot of my friends. We have this conversation. We've had this conversation many times about, you know, whether it was OK for NPR to do this. Yeah. Right. Is it yeah. is it OK for Minnesota Public Radio to deprive the the listeners of all of the content from this person? Right. And I think in so more and more, Laura, I think that the answer is probably yes. Mm-hmm. Like I and I guess the part of the reason I think this, I just look at this latest, you know, this latest couple weeks of things that have kind of popped up, you know, whether it's Diaz or whether it's the Nobel thing. And it's just like, you know, this stuff is so baked in to the literary canon right now and the literary, just like the community and the, the dynamics with which we talk about books and critically analyze books and like who gets the coverage and who doesn't like to the point that it is now canceling our awards. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like the, like the, the most prestigious literary award. And I just, it just yeah. made me think like as the Nobel, when the Nobel announced itself as being canceled for the year, it was like by that criteria, what else deserves to be canceled? You know, and the answer is probably quite a lot, you know, and it's like we can't just 
cancel books. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what we can do is really have a much like deeper systemic conversation about the role that, you know, misogyny and, you know, sexual power dynamics and things like that have, you know, played in the selection of which books we and which authors we venerate and who gets permission to do what and how it affects our taste because it does affect taste. Like, and I just, this, I guess, you know, the thought experiment I kept running is like, what if you had an author, and this author certainly exists, like who took this set of people and said, well, these are the people who, you know, influenced me to want to be a great writer. Like if let's say that author is a perfectly fine and good person, is there a problem if all the books they've read are coming from this set of people who are writing from this other particular place? Like, are they continuing, whether or not they themselves are, you know, problematic them, you know, in their own right, are they continuing a literary tradition that comes from a fundamental place of toxicity? And, and I don't know the answer to that. And it's just like, but I think that the answer, whatever it's going to be, has to kind of come from this idea of, like much more rigorous critical analysis of the larger forces within the literary community as opposed to just this pruning of individuals, you know? Yeah, I think I think I I I agree with you that I think the answer is yes, right? And I keep thinking back to that Garrison Keeler argument I've had multiple times across, you know, many, many days and many, many hours. Um, and my, my instinct was always to say, yes, they should get rid of him. They should get rid yeah. of all of the old prairie. Yeah. Home. And I grew up listening to this show. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think you really landed on the reason for why I think that. And it's because a lot of the time, you know, we're separating the readers from the other people in the business. And, but I think you drew the line really, really strongly there that, you know, the people who read these books will go on to create the next books. Yeah. And that at the very least is enough reason, you know, like I don't, I don't need any more of these dudes hanging around like 20 years from now. Like I don't need that. And to be clear, like these are, these are not new considerations. Like these are questions that, you know, activists and, you know, people who, you know, I've been trying to ring these alarm bells for a long time. have been trying to bring up. I just think that, you know, any chance you can, it's important now to kind of raise them again and just say, this is something we have to, you know, critically, you know, look at. And, you know, when people, it just kind of serves as another example of, you know, when we talk about representation in literature, when we talk about, you know, bringing in as many different types of voices as possible, like that is going to have the natural side effect of alleviating some of this or, you know, getting, you know, reducing some of this, like the more voices you let in, the less, um, you know, the less like, the less of, the less permissive you are of a certain breed of toxicity that otherwise wouldn't have to prove itself. You know what I mean? And it's so these, yeah, I don't know. Like it just as a, something that we are constantly kind of talking about on the show. I think it is, you know, all the more important to just kind of realize that even thing, even like our older, you know, most vaunted institutions are at stake here. Like, I mean, the, the Nobel Prize just got canceled. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know. It's like, it deal. threatens, like, we can't take any of it for granted, you know? It's, I would just love that in 50 years or 100 years, people reading the literature that we love and talk about right now 
wouldn't say, oh, well, you have to give it a pass. It, it was from a different time. Yeah. No, the I same mean, way they, that we do, you yeah, know, you about know, all got, of the books right. that are we're, in the I canon think that now. We, I think we can do better than that. And it's. I think we're going to start to, to be clear. I mean, I think in some ways I'm an optimist. I just think that the task is huge. And maybe it's huger than people are kind of willing to let on. So speaking about huge tasks... <laughs> Uh, I think it's time for us to... Incredible, incredible transition, Laura. You're doing so good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it's time to talk about Cocky Gate uh-huh. and what it is. Yeah. Um, um, so... What is it? <laughs> why, don't, why don't... Can we just start there with... Yes. Because one thing that I always appreciate is... When I teach you things? It's just... <laughs> I, I guess that too, sure. But just like people behaving unreasonably... Like obviously that is my single, like that's greatest the reason, joy that, that's in life. That's the reason the show exists, and we've been <laughs> we've been gifted another example of that. And so please, yep. Laura, tell the listeners, those online and not, what cocky gate is. Well, if you listeners remember our handbook for mortals episode, you are going to be so pleased because this is even better. Um, so. Just, I'm going to give you broad strokes. You can see a lot of, um, I mean, we can post some links that go into a lot more detail about the legalities and kind of the timeline of all of this. But essentially, there is an independently published romance author named Felina Hopkins. In 2016, Felina Hopkins, um, who had a series of books called Um, like the Cocky series or the Cocker Brothers of Atlanta, um, which are a series of romance novels where the titles are such such um, such gems as Cocky Roomie, Cocky Biker, Cocky Cowboy, Cocky Senator and Cocky Romantic. Cocky Podcaster. Cocky Podcaster. (laughs) That isn't one, but it's going to be. It's going to be. Eric's going to go home and write it right now. Yeah, because... So there's 17 of these books, right? And so this author um, filed two trademarks um, with the United States government, the first of which is cocky um, in the font as is used on the the titles of all of these books, like establishing it as a brand, you know, the, the, the cocky is in every single title, and it's in a particular font throughout all 17 of these books. The second trademark that Felina Hopkins um, registered with the United States of America um, is on the word cocky itself. Specifically, it is on the use of the word cocky. It's so bold. It's so bold uh, in any font to for use with a um, with a romance ebook series. Uh huh. And then Felina Hopkins uh, proceeded to send cease and desist letters to every independently published author who had a book with the word cocky in the title. Okay, so just for a second, let's add some context yeah. Context there. Like, we've got someone who has taken a fairly innocuous phrase, right? Yeah. The word cocky. There's only so many ways... Like, to describe it's arrogant a, with a single entendre look, in the English language. It's an, it's an adjective. Yes. You know, you're, you're trying to trademark an adjective here. Yeah. But not only are you trying to do that, you're doing it in, in within a specific, like, genre of work that is predisposed to use it frequently. And everybody loves cocks in this, in this <laughs> and genre. Important yes. to note here, folks, everyone loves cocks. <laughs> Um, we so, should probably retroactively say you uh, should probably put your headphones um, in 
no, or no, listen I to like this it. in the car I like it at better home. when people's kids have to hear that. That's that's always good. Um, <laughs> but um, yes, they love roosters. No, it's just one of those. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where the use is so widespread, especially. Um, and then you know she specifically targets. Um, you know, romance authors using independent publishing e- electronic Correct. platforms. Correct, because right? getting a cease and desist letter is terrifying. Well, it's also, I mean, just real quick though, that's a huge format, right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the the indie published ebook in romance publishing yep. is huge, right? Like, much huger than it is in other genres. So when that's not as niche as it sounds. Like, Correct. Lots and lots and lots of romance authors are doing that, and so to send a letter, to, like asking for a cease and desist. For every other like book that uses this adjective yeah. in the title, it's it's incredibly audacious. It's incredibly brazen, and it's I guess I mean truthfully more than anything, the reason it's funny is because it's incredibly ill conceived. Oh, for sure, it's like this won't stand. The trademark is going to get so. Pulled. Let's go yeah. through why they're con- why they're ill conceived. So the yeah. first one, well, the one with the specific font, um, is actually an improperly registered trademark. Mm-hmm. So the font that is used for this first copyright yeah. is actually in the terms and conditions. The font creator says that you may not trademark anything with this font. <laughs> So, so this we're trademark... Gr- we're off to a great legal start, you're yes. saying. Yeah, so essentially, good. this mm-hmm. is complicated, but the trademark, as such, is infringing upon the creator of the font's copyright to their work. So mm-hmm. basically, that's going to be struck down, right? Because she accepted the terms and conditions and then trademarked it anyway. The second one is a little bit stickier. So essentially, what you need to know about this is that Titles of books cannot be copyrighted, which means that I could call, you know, um, I could name a book tomorrow, um, you know, Cocky Senator, right? (laughs) Although if I were going to be writing one, I would probably name it Cocky Congressman because that would be funnier because we actually have one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, so you can call it that. You can't copyright titles what you can do however is copyright or is sorry is trademark specific identifying factors that identify a series so for example harry potter and the is trademarked because it is the clearly identifying marker of a specific series where if somebody named you know their book harry potter and you know the old car (laughs) <laughs> that would be infringing upon J.K. Rowling's right. Um, brand, right? You know, same same as if you called, you know, your new, like, computer repair store Apple Computer Repair. And the right. reason that those work is because they're specific. Or, you know, like Apple, for example, is a term that is very... Um, That's very common with, you know, selling fruit, but is very, very rare when it comes to selling computers. So if I started an Apple company Uh and named it Apple, I would be fine, but I can't trademark that. Sure. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's complicated. But the point is, it's it's not that complicated, though. The point is that she's trying to take something that is widely used in context and is making it... And is trying to reserve the use for herself. And I guess, like... The thing, before we get to, like, what I find so funny about this, the thing that is, to me, like, really, I guess, like, the bummer of it is it's just such a, 
like shot at the re- like the whole like cooperative nature of like writing books and within a genre, right? Like the idea that you would trademark something that you know other authors are using and then hit them all with cease and desist letters. It just suggests that you see every other author in your category and in your genre as like a comp as pure competition as opposed to um, you know something that. As opposed to like building a field of, um, you know, a build and building a readership in a category that everyone can benefit from who's creating. So like, let's talk about that for yeah. a second. Because um, competition, I think, is really important here for publishing, right? Yeah. So, so this author's argument is that people have bought, have tried to buy her books, but have accidentally bought other people's books. And so these other books are diluting, diluting her specific and, you know, smart and uh, identifiable brand. Right. Right. Um, so kind of ignoring the fact that it's romance for a second. Uh-huh. Um, let's let's talk about competition in books. So books, unlike, you know, refrigerators or sofas or anything like that, are a product where if you like one thing, like if I like an arrogant romance hero, I am going to read a shit ton of them. So competition here as in, you know, I am people are reading your book instead of reading mine. It doesn't happen. Is in fundamentally the... against the point of reading books. It's a 299 ebook. Like yeah. you're if you're into this stuff, you're going to buy more of it. Like and yeah. that's and that's not just that's especially true, I think For in romance. romance, but it's true across all literary genres. Like the idea that someone would come along and um, you know, write something that is similar to yours that would be successful and that would somehow preclude you. Like, that's not really how it works, you know? Yeah. It's, but even more important than that, it takes such an antagonistic approach to your peers, you know? And it says, like, I don't know, it says, I view you as someone that needs to be squashed out. Like, this yeah. is a market that I need to control myself, which is, it's just, it's just fundamentally, like, it's not even, I'm not even trying to sound sentimental about it. Like, obviously, it's, like, not a nice thing to do. But, like, even separate from that, on a purely mechanical level, it doesn't make sense from, like, a business or industry perspective either. You know, it's it's something that kind of flies in the face of book culture. It's just, yeah. it's, and what's happened, right? The We've Romance Writers person. of America have hired an IP lawyer to go against <laughs> Can her. Can I just say one thing I find incredibly amusing about all this? Between this one and um, uh, Handbook for Mortals, that scam, like, these are two people who have kind of said, all right, I'm going to take my run at the book. I'm going to take my run at fame, right? I'm going to take my <laughs> run at this thing. I'm going to game the system. I'm going to do whatever it is. And the way I'm going to do that is going to hinge on hoping that the romance fan base and the YA, YA fan base doesn't get too mad. <laughs> like They're so what, wrong. What a stupid tactical decision that was because you have really picked, like, that's like saying, I really, you know, I really need some honey. And so the way I'm going to do that is I'm just going to come over to this hornet's nest and just hit it with a bat. And I'm just going to see I'm just going to see what happens and hope hopefully hopefully folks, hopefully the bees don't chase me into the lake and I have to go in there under there like a cartoon character while the bees hover over me waiting to kill me. Like it's it's just such a silly it's just a, such a silly thing to do. Like Which is also so crazy because romance out of every genre, you know, like this author was talking about how people used the same stock photography as her and that meant that they were copying her. And it's like, do you know who Fabio is? Mm-hmm. If you know who Fabio is, it was because he was on <laughs> dozens of romance novel right. covers. Right. It's like 
it's it's flying in the face of what the genre is, let alone what books are. Um, so I can't I can't stop but think about why she do this. Well, right. So like, there's a lot of ways. So there's two. Yeah. There's two reasons I think why she would do this. One is to do the run at the fame and say, you know what, like this is the only way I'm going to get to the big leagues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of go for it. The the second one is is that she is you know just trying desperately it you know doesn't really understand publishing is trying desperately to carve out a niche in romance without necessarily doing the branding work herself and is more trying to bully other people into it. Given her response to the uh, understandable online backlash, wherein she tweeted, and I quote, I am hashtag by Felina. Let the public stoning commence. I love a good shaming. Don't you? Anyone have popcorn with caramel? Oh, good. Thanks. Chomp, chomp. The well, fact a, that she's doing that. Well, what's, important to note, yes. what's important to note there is that she is incredibly not mad. She's incredibly not mad. She's actually never been mad. <laughs> uh, but it's just. Yeah. yeah no, that's, and that's, again, what's the, my, my favorite yeah. thing in the whole damn world is when these people decide that the answer to all this when they've been caught. Is when I'm they, the victim. When they've been turned is just keep posting. Don't stop posting. Like, definitely go on. She went on Facebook. Hold on. Let me pull up the message here because she, like, had this whole long thing. Essentially, um, we we do know that it's because she's taking the run at fame, right? <laughs> this isn't because she's trying to carve out a niche and doesn't know how. This is purely, like, she got into this and she knew what she was doing, you know, by calling, you know, the the Fabios, the, you know, the the copiers and all of that. And she is just doubling and tripling down. Well, so this is the message. This is the message from this person who has been sending cease and desist letters to every peer in the industry for using a totally innocuous term. Ready for this? She says, you know, this is a Facebook post. It looks like, and to those who are attacking, I forgive you. <laughs> Resentment. Oh, this is a good line that I'm going to use all the time. Anytime anyone ever gets mad at me online from now on, resentment is a poison that we drink by choice. I choose instead forgiveness. I'm done responding or even looking at the hate. Carry on without me. Little star, shooting star emoji there. Oh, lovely. Um, I forgive you. And for the pain the bystanders have experienced in watching this, I'm sorry. Hashtag live with light. This is, that is the message from someone who has been like actively antagonized. Like, it's just so crazy and to me. And sending like, like not yeah, yeah, yeah. real cease like, and desist <laughs> letters, like not yeah. by a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really good. Um, I just, the, and that's what makes me, that's the part that has my eyebrow because on the one hand, like my initial thought with all this is that this was just someone who really just kind of did a dumb, ill-conceived thing. They just mm-hmm. said no. They they thought this. They really did think that the way they were gonna, like they were protecting, like take I, taking her at her word, right? Like I'm gonna, you know, try to trademark this thing that I'm seeing being encroached upon as ill-conceived as that ended up being, but. It's this all this like performative messaging afterward is just kind. Of, it's just kind of like, man, I don't know. Like clearly, it just seems like there's some attempt at drawing attention to oneself in a way that seems, you know, disingenuous. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really delicious things about this, um, but one of one of the more disingenuous and delicious things um, has to do with the 
how she did the cease and desist letter. So yeah. basically she was saying, you know, you have the option to change your book title. Oh, and yeah, which happens weird. in a day. You can change your book title, no problem. But also what's really funny is about one of the um, one of her books that was in the cocky series. It was cocky soldier. Mm-hmm. Apparently she had a note in it about how she should um, how she should in she should have instead called it cocky marine because apparently marines never call themselves soldiers. They always call themselves marines. Uh-huh. And then she said, I should have changed it, but it was too late because it was already up on Amazon and I had 2000 pre-orders and I wouldn't have been able to do it. The only thing that could have made this that could have made this better is a disrespecting the troops angle. <laughs> <laughs> every every just dumbass online story requires a and also you've disrespected the troops. How dare you, sir? Correct. Like we need that and we've got that. So that really browns this thing out. Yeah. It was this isn't gonna be any problem for you at all. You're not gonna lose any money. Never mind the, you know, that it's conference season and you've already printed out all of the you know, all of your swag, never mind all of this. Well, so, uh, but yeah. I couldn't have changed my title. Well, so let's let's actually that is a point of um, context that I think is worth kind of spelling out. Like, so basically she's asking and what she's saying on its face sounds sort of reasonable. It's all you got to do is just change the title of your book. Right. But like what that also means is, you know, especially with indie publishers. Right. This is all um, all this marketing and stuff is author generated. Right. And mm-hmm. so. All of the promotions this person has done, all the, the, you know, having the book cover made, having the, you know, whatever, like you just Audio mentioned. book recorded. Yeah, ha- whatever, like, merchandise you may have made. You've all been using this title. And so to say all you got to do is change the title is to really say you need to fundamentally alter your entire approach to promoting your work. And it's not a simple thing. And to be, and she knows that. She knows that it's not, which is why she didn't do it herself when she needed to change her title from this Marine thing. But, like, it's... I don't know. It's just hard to look at it as anything. Like, I just have a hard time right now treating it as earnest. Eric, but. in as your as your experience as you know an editor at a publishing house, what is the latest you've ever been able to change a title? Oh man! <laughs> like, do you have any horror stories about this? <laughs> yes, I You're do. You're cackling like you well, do. Like, yeah, no, I mean, of course, always horror stories. I, I like it's, but it's. I'll say this: it's super, super complicated. Like at, at a certain stage, like early on, you can do whatever you want. But like once you get a cover made, I mean, once. W- OK, so I'm just trying to think what the latest you could possibly do it is like you could change a title. I mean, you could change a title before any time, technically any time before the book is printed. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to. But you probably don't want to do it after you've sent it out to review outlets. You yep. probably don't want to do it after you've released a cover, though you could. Um but like even you know before then you know even ch- changing a title requires looping in basically everyone right like you've got to loop in the marketers you've got to loop in the publicists like it's a pain in the ass mm-hmm. and I just remember all these indices of like an author like coming in at the last second being like oh I don't know this little term in the subtitle needs to be changed to some other slightly more searchable thing on Amazon can we please just do it and then you know. Um, you try to say no, but then like you know the per- some other person in house says no, do it, and then you have to say yes, and then it involves emailing like nineteen different people just to say like actually the word is now nutrition now instead of health, you know. Well, and what also happens <laughs> is a bookseller yeah. will make a note of a book that they heard about and they wanted, and the rep has talked to them about, and then when it'll come time for order it, they'll put it in their system and it won't show up, and then that book doesn't get ordered. 
Yeah. You know, it's, like it's it's a whole process. The point is the the yeah. point of that is that changing a title sucks and it's not easy. But and apart from that, it's all I don't know. Like it's just kind of a I just don't understand the play here. That's so let's just say that it's not there's something else afoot. The play right? is, what's is the play? publicity like, what's and the fame. G- game? That's, well, so you're not going to get fame. You're going to get, like, short-term notoriety, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to, like, if this is a means of drawing attention to oneself, what have you, like, are people going to suddenly, have we seen anyone, like, cape up for her? Like, I don't think I've seen anyone, like, come no. to her defense. No one's caped up, but I also think that the people who think that any um, scandal is good publicity, yeah. I think those people probably haven't considered how, like, how Robin Hood-esque the publishing industry is in general. Um, y- you know, I, I just, I think that that this is probably an outcome that they didn't necessarily envision. They probably think that, 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 you know, she would have a couple of haters, but then she has the law on her side, Eric. She has the law. Why would the United States grant her a trademark if she was in the wrong? And the truth is, is probably somebody who just like read the application and said, okay, and probably didn't read romance. And, I don't know. Well, There's I mean, another indie no, author who just gonna, submitted a suit to cancel it. And that it. person's going to win, oh, by the for way. Oh, for sure. Like, they, this trademark will get revoked. But I don't know. So, like, just to wrap it up, like, what, like, what is there really to say on it? Other than, I guess, like, the most revealing bit of it for me is that you're never going to get anywhere with this stuff by going against the grain of the community, right? Like, even Correct. as you're trying to stand out, like... You can stand out all you want. And, like, most authors, I think, and most people in the community want you to. Like, I mean, no one is – I really don't think that when it, when it comes to, like, especially, like, a tightly knit community like indie publishing like this, like, no one's tearing each other down. Like, because one person's success grows the market for someone else, you know? Yeah. Like, it's – in like, running against that grain, it's just – it's never it's never going to work in it's, the manner you think. It's can. the same – it's the same reason why somebody saying – you know, in the slush pile saying, you know, I know that this isn't what I should be doing or what you said I should do, but when they submit a query, you know what I mean? Like bad attention is not good attention in in publishing or probably in anything else, but like especially in publishing. Yeah. Um, because again, you're really only going to be successful if you have other writers that can help use their platforms to promote you and, and kind of build up that way. Yeah. So... Related, (laughs) the pub tip of this week um, is related to this event, but it's also been something that I've been seeing a lot in the science fiction fantasy community since it is also um, conference season in that area. And it is this. At no point is like being mean or being nasty or attacking or being vindictive. Um, at no point is your career going to be helped by this. Yep. Like picking fights or being nasty with other authors is not going to help you. You know, it's the will of the community that is important for recommendations. It's important for sales. It's important for, you know, as much as we like to talk about how marketing will do in this business or how you can make it on your own. The fact of the matter is, is like successful books are made by having a community of people. Yeah. And if you don't have that, if you burn that bridge, if you felina it. <laughs> well, so I do think I do want to point out, though, that I think that is 
you know, that's good advice. And I think it is important to, you know, get along and try to be a part of the community as opposed to trying to like, you know, antagonize it. That isn't necessarily just a call to like, you know, be totally bland and play nice at all costs at the expense of all personality. But what it is, you know, stand out, you know, take, you know, engage in critical discussion when necessary if you see something. Yeah. But if like, if Juno Diaz is harassing your friend, say something well, about uh, it. Of course. But. but like, but like, even it's, um, you know, there's a certain line where it's like, are you trying to be, engage in good faith with a group of people that you're interested in being a part of, or are you trying to burn bridges? And obviously, like, sending cease and desist letters like this is obviously a incredibly stark and extreme example of not wanting to be a part of a community, but I don't know, like just know that you're always going to be served by goodwill in this, in, in this industry and not by bad. You Turns know? out that being nice to other people is good for business. Yeah. Imagine At least that. in this one where everything is so guided by like word of mouth, you know? Yeah. So anyway, thank you so much for joining us on this, our return episode, and uh, where you get to hear Eric say the word cocky gate multiple times. I know you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah. Um, remember, next week, starting next week, stay tuned for our special episodes. Send us your submissions at printandearnpodcast at gmail.com. Also, that really good, like if you have your grandma's lasagna recipe, I've been thinking about this this entire <laughs> we'll time. We'll it. We'll We'll do a first page episode. We'll workshop it um, in my kitchen. Uh, But anyway, we will see you for a regular episode next week. Bye.